0: Thank you very much for being here this evening. Uh, my name is Ron Ruhalum, the Assistant Director of Admissions for the USC Student Board of School Social Work. So I'm going to just start off by um, introducing our wonderful guests. I'll let them say some more about themselves. But um, here in the admissions department, we really wanted to focus more on issues and, and really attract a wider audience and talk really about social work and what social work is doing to impact certain issues last year we uh, last month excuse me we talked about the issue of homelessness uh and what social workers are doing to impact that area Uh, another issue that was really important to me to discuss and based on all of our travels and as we meet with prospective students it talked about immigration students were interested in immigration uh and so we had that immigration next month we have an event on mental health the following month we're talking about child development uh and then the roles that social workers play in that you know and as i was telling uh, our colleagues over here You know, social workers, a lot of folks that when I meet with people that, and of course, they're social workers, they can correct me. Um, When I meet, and I'm not a social worker, I'm a a professional admissions uh, person, right, admissions recruiter.
1: But as I started working with
0: social work students, you know, I realized that social workers do three things at its very core. They do three things. They inspire people. They empower people. And they advocate for people, for different populations. Where you do that the organization, the setting, is it a clinical, a micro, macro, all that stuff, that's irrelevant. I mean, that's up to you in terms of your career choice, where you want to be. But at the end of the day, if you're passionate about inspiring and empowering and advocating for for a population that's not represented, then social work certainly could be a pathway for you. And so, again, we wanted to talk about these issues, okay? Uh, And so... um, like I said, we're gonna start off by having our wonderful fac- faculty, we have Maria Hugh, and we have Omar Lopez, give him a round of applause. So if I can ask each of you um, to start by telling us what you do here at the school, Suzanne de Peck School of Social Work. In addition to your teaching as well, um, can you talk a little bit about your stipend programs, the credential programs, or anything that you're sort of doing on the side? Uh, just introduction, please. <laughs>
2: Ladies first, huh? Yes. Okay. Um, so, I am a clinical associate professor here at USC, Suzanne Dwork-Peck School of Social Work, and so my role here is of course to teach um, field-related classes for students that are in our master's program in social work. So my role is to teach classes, but in addition to that, our jobs are pretty unique. Um, I love being in the classroom because we get to really teach our students uh, clinical interventions such as motivational interviewing, problem-solving therapy, um, how do you deal with ethical dilemmas. Um, so in addition to that, um, we get to be part of different projects and um, grant-related projects. Um, um, I did take advantage of, of getting my doctorate here at USC because I heard through the grapevine that... Similar to admission gets paid, so I ended up doing that. Um, I took advantage of that, and that's where I focused on immigration and refugees and my social work studies as a doctoral student. So I finished that. Um, but I've also had the opportunity to work um, with the people personnel service credential. For social workers that want to go into schools, they have to have a credential, and that's the PPSC. And, did anybody know what the PPSC is? Yeah. Oh, you're interested. Okay. Okay, great. And so um, those are social workers that go into um, educational system working K-12 through 12, um, in the public sector. And so I know we have our, our, our guru, um, Mike Foster, who's another professor here at USC. And so he knows a lot about the PPSC. And so my role there is to coordinate uh, the PPSC program for students that want to go into schools. And so um, I provide them with support in terms of how they can obtain the credential, but I also host informational meetings in terms of what it looks like. To, what it looks like, you know, being a school social worker on on a typical day, and that is dealing with crisis, uh, dealing with suicide ideation, dealing with a lot of mental health disorders um, in schools. And so it's pretty fascinating. Um, in addition to that. And um, my partner here, to my left, Professor Lopez, he, I, I, I can't thank him enough, and I know he's probably tired of me telling you this, because he's the one that actually um, gave me the opportunity to work at the consulates. Um, we started at the consulate of El Salvador, and um, we've never done that before. They've never had a social worker. So, you know, the embassies, you know, we have embassies all throughout the entire I mean, country, all over the world, right? So the consulates are our centerline offices, so we're always in the realm of finding ways to be innovative, to see how social workers can really impact our profession and really impact our society. So I remember Omar was telling me, we need to find a way to create some kind of an internship. And so when I went into the consulate of Salvador, they had no idea what social workers were. They wanted us to be librarians. I don't know if you remember
1: that Omar.
2: They're like, well, we have a room, and we just want the social worker to be in here to be the librarian.
1: <laughs> and so... Organize books. Yeah,
2: organize <laughs> books and read books to, the, you know, to um, Los usuarios, which are the people that would go there. And so that's when Omar is like, okay, this is where we need to put in our social work hat and do a lot of psychoeducation as to what social workers do, and they do, they inspire, they empower, they problem-solve. And so we had to do a lot of massaging. Um, I I quickly learned that I have great um, sales skills too. Um, But, you know, so I had to really educate them on what social workers did, and they they were fascinated with the idea. And so we found a way to have to develop an internship at the consulate. And so that's where we saw that within the immigrant community, there's a lot of stigma attached to mental health, a ton of stigma cultural factors, Um, and so we had to really collaborate with um, uh, the Department of Mental Health to come in to do talks about what is mental health in the immigrant community, Um, and so we ended up placing students there, social work students, uh, keep in mind they've never had a student before, so we had to really work with the consulate to really educate them about how, how people can access services. So to make a long story short, we had interns there for about a couple years where the students ended up going to the detention facilities where they visited the unaccompanied minors and where they visited families who had been, um, you know, um, apprehended by Border Patrol and they were in custody and they needed services. So it was pretty fascinating for social workers to be in, in, in there because they've never done that before. So now they really see um, the beauty of social work and how it really fits into every realm of society. And so I d- I've done that. And, um, and, so, and so now what we're doing is uh, creating this, um, this curriculum in terms of, it's like an assessment tool. Like when we have these kids in these detention facilities, what do you need to be looking for? What type of mental health assessments need to take place when we're meeting with these kids? But we were also realizing um, that secondary trauma and compassion fatigue is something that can hit anyone. So, so um, it's it's been a great learning experience. So, Thank
3: you, yeah. Professor Lopez. No, I wish I would have gone first. How do you top that? <laughs> <laughs> up in that introduction, uh, Omar Lopez. I'm a clinical professor, also field education, uh, and uh, I've been here at uh, USC for ten years, essentially. Um, I have an administrative appointment as director of workforce development stipend programs. So essentially I work with a a team of faculty and staff basically that we manage um, in all the stipend programs for the school and specifically in workforce development. So these programs provide money money essentially as an incentive uh, for students basically to focus on a particular field of practice. That could be public child welfare, public mental health, uh, geriatrics, interprofessional behavioral health, and mm-hmm. so on. So that's kind of what I've been doing for the last six years. Uh, but also as a faculty person, I also uh, teach, uh, not as much as I used to, uh, mm-hmm. but I did <laughs> no, I missed the classroom. Um, but one of the courses that I teach, um, in addition to field courses, is a course that uh, I developed and then also in collaboration with Maria, uh, it's called uh, Pathways to Immigration. It's a global immersion course, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically takes uh, a group of students, basically, to a migratory pathway pay backwards. You know, So we essentially start in LA, we go to San Diego, we go to Ensenada, Mexico City, Puebla City, and we end up in a uh, uh, migrant sending community, essentially. And throughout, the, the goal is essentially to uh, expose students to the realities of immigration. It's one thing to read about it, but it's something else to actually see a person mm-hmm. you know at those stops basically you know we uh, have tours with a cbp they take us basically in their vans and they, they give us a tour of the whole border in addition to the fact that they're sitting with us and they are giving us their perspective on immigration so as you would imagine it's very different than the social work perspective mm-hmm. right but something that we taught in that course is basically that as social workers in order to be effective uh, advocates in order to be effective uh, to empower others, you have to hear the other side, and especially in our country nowadays. I think our country nowadays, you either watching Fox or watching MSNBC, right? <laughs> and, 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 and so I think you kind of have to be a, figure out a way, especially as an MSW, especially, especially as a professional, to hear the other perspective and try to understand it, right? Um, so uh, those uh, visits, basically, when we do ICE, also CBP. Although they have a different philosophy and a lot of the language we disagree with, I know that the first year we went, they, you know, the students came out angry, crying about just how they were treating people, essentially. Uh, although, when you put it into perspective, we didn't really see something that was um, like egregious. I mean, folks were in a detention center, but they were taken care of, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and a lot of the services were being provided. Um, but it just kind of made them angry because of like, the language they were using, uh, you know, uh, the, they were calling illegal aliens, you know, and that kind of things to raise, uh, some emotions in folks who have an immigrant background. Uh, but, you know, their response was very typical. That's what the boss says. So I just need to, that, you know, if you want to make something for us to call them something different, you need to work with. Your legislators so that the law reads differently right which is a good lesson a lesson for a lot a lot of us um anyway so that's one program and i'll talk in more detail at a later time but also kind of what i do here like i've indicated is um work with uh faculty to bring in stipends you know so i could talk that about that as well especially if we have students who might be interested in pursuing uh working in, in those fields like i mentioned other things that i do i teach uh, leadership, uh, leadership course as well um and i'll just Leave it at that, mm-hmm. and we'll go Certainly. Certainly. Thank you. Um, Professor
0: Lopez, this question, or this is for you. Now, you have a, a very unique story, and you came to this country as an undocumented immigrant. Um, tell us what you remember about that journey, and what it was like to grow up uh, in this country, undocumented.
1: Sure,
3: um, happy to do that. You know, in fact, the way, the reason uh, you know, I started kind of developing that course is because uh, our course kind of touches, or curriculum touches on immigration, but it doesn't give like in-depth coverage, right? And especially in LA, it seemed like necessary for us to kind of have more in-depth knowledge about immigration. So the course that I was mentioning earlier, we kind of built it around that experience, you know? So my family um, was from the uh, province of Mexico. So my dad was from Veracruz, my mom from Tampico. They were very young. And um, they moved to Mexico City basically for better opportunities, right? So they migrated from the interior of Mexico to Mexico City. Uh, My parents were divorced when I was five, and my dad eventually came up to uh, the United States. I stayed behind. I worked with, uh, I lived with my mom essentially until sixth grade. And then I was kind of a knucklehead growing up. So my mom (laughs) had enough of me and sent me with my dad. (laughs) You need a a male figure in your life, you know, so that you could straighten up. Um, but when they made a decision at my parents, um, my dad was in the process of getting his green card and I didn't have any papers, you know, I didn't speak the language. Uh, so this is back in 1989. So I know I'm dating myself <laughs> to some extent, but, um, I was 12 when I came across and, um, at that time it was a little bit different. This is before, you know, the, the wall basically went all the way through essentially. Right. So there was like a fence, but like when the sea, um, what do you call the sea uh, when the sea goes down the tide, the tide thank you the mm-hmm. tide English is my second language so you'll find sometimes uh, omarism. sometimes I make up words so just call me on
1: it sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I forget things
3: like tide <laughs> um,
2: but you know, he's one of the best grant writers
3: by the way yeah for sure that is for sure <laughs> I have reviewers <laughs> um, you know so as I said I crossed the border it was just easier at that time right um, I remember Monko Mom- crossed me and uh, he he came with the football. I, didn't, I knew what a football was, but I didn't really play with the one before. And he was like, oh, just uh, families would play along the beach. And he said, oh, just log along and, and catch it. He, every time he would throw it deeper into the U.S. And when I tell you run, you run. So eventually run, and then- That's um, how we, you crossed. And that's how I crossed, essentially. It was a little bit easier, like I said, but it was, it took us about a few hours, but every time we would a border patrol, he would hide and tell me, run, you run again. We ended up staying in some apartments in San Isidro. So eventually, we made it here to the United States. And I remember hating it. I mean, it was, the first couple months were great. Went to Disneyland, you know, those little sure. things. So they were fun. But once I, I went to school, you know, I felt what a lot of the people that are social workers we work with, you know, I just felt like I needed to hide. I was not welcome. Uh, you know, and it wasn't a fun experience. It's, you know, I wanted to go back to Mexico. Because I knew that I guess I had better opportunities in the United States and I did. I did it here to USC as a faculty person. But um, but it was not fun, you know. So mm-hmm. growing up it was very challenging, you know. But um, I essentially moved out when I was sixteen and I became a social worker because a lot of my experiences an undocumented person, you know, I felt when I got to college. I took uh I call it a class on um, on education, the education system in the United States, and I realized that I was pretty lucky. A lot of people that looked like me had the same background, were probably smarter than me for sure, were either dead, in jail, or deported. You know, so I felt that I needed to get back. You know, so social work eventually led to a social worker because it was one of those professions, but that kind of allowed me to do that. Um, but the insight that I gained, and I didn't forget kind of where I came from, allowed me to just more be empathetic, you know, to the needs of vulnerable populations. So that's a little bit of my background.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Omar. Professor you. Lopez. Now, for both of you, um, both of you, your, your passion is immigration. You've, you've studied in your doctoral degree. Um, when you hear the current rhetoric, the way it is today, how does it make you feel? What do you, what do you think about that? when you hear it, it's vilified, you know, nowadays. And so, so can you talk a little bit about current day and how you, and your thoughts?
3: Sure, sure, so I'll, I'll, I'll go with that as well. So, so thing that comes to mind, I mentioned earlier about C, C, uh, CNN and MSNBC, right? Uh, and I tell my students essentially, you know, always force yourself, like if you're watching the news, uh, cause that's what I do, I just watch both channels, right? <laughs> because it kind of allows you to get more informed, right? So the rhetoric that you're kind of pointing out, I guess I've become desynthesized to some extent. It doesn't make me as angry as I used to, maybe when I was younger, uh, because I do it with uh, an intent of trying to understand the other side, you know? Um, And allows me, it earns me, you know, to be be, be a better advocate, you know? Um, And to figure out a way on how you could align with people that you totally disagree with, but you kind of need them to make some changes, you know? So for example, the experiences that we had uh, in the uh, immersion program, um, you know, it was uh, kind of surprisingly, pleasantly surprising when we learned about how ICE collaborates with some of the advocates that are fighting them, in, you know, about, mm-hmm. like, saving people's lives, you know? So sometimes if you find common ground on how to, like, help other people, you could actually do that, right? But you kind of have to step away from um, calling each other's names, figure out the common ground. And then, and then going from there. So right now, like you know, doesn't it, it, it anger me as much as it used to. I know that some people like the current Trump administration does it because they're you know uh, targeting boats, right? Mm-hmm. So once you kind of understand that, it's like how do I, I, I could understand that better, and what can I do to uh, be a better advocate, essentially. So,
1: Professor Hugh?
2: Yeah, you know, um, I. Even though I studied immigration um, throughout my career as a school social worker, um, both my parents immigrated here to the States. My mom is from El Salvador, and she was born and raised in El Salvador, came here illegally, and um, I was raised by an undocumented mom. Hardcore, Latina, fiery, (laughs) feisty mom. And my father, who is Taiwanese, he's from Taiwan, also came here illegal. And, uh, he, uh, I remember his story about, um, I would, I remember going to a social security office and this man was fascinated with my nationality. He's like, well, how did your father come? And he just said that he was working on a ship and he just stayed off the ship and came here illegally and lived here. And so I bring that up because when I do watch the news, it does in some ways bring some, um, some feelings of, of sadness and some feelings of just disappointment. Um, But because I am a social worker at heart, this is where I get into that advocacy mode of me mentoring our social workers, our future generation in terms of of how they can lobby, how they can be part of the the legislation process to make some impact and just make some change. I tell students, go to lobby days go out there and speak to our lawmakers, because that's how change really happens, versus us just sitting here and being angry and upset with the, with our current state. So that's pretty much um, my whole stance when it comes to that rhetoric that I tend to hear on CNN. Yeah.
0: Can you elaborate a little bit on that lobby days? What is that?
2: So, um, lobby days um, is a time where students go, I think it's, when Mike, it's, you know, well, it's March. March, so March. social work one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. In
3: oh, April. it's one. Oh, yeah. it is an April. You're right.
1: You're right.
2: Yeah, I don't know the exact details about that, but I know that that's the way that students can go out up to Sacramento, right, to really find. It. Oh, have you done? Have you done lobby days? Do you want to speak to it? Yeah. Uh huh. It's just a couple days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's how things happen. is by talking. It's yep. by communicating your concerns. It's by advocating and vocalizing what we feel is happening. What we, what our thoughts are. So thank you for that. Did you want
3: to add to that? Yeah, and I wanted to go back to your question about rhetoric. You know that I think um um I think what we need to do as social workers is that um, although I was recommending to just kind of like not to synthesize yourself but like um get more familiar with the other side you still have to have passion for what mm-hmm. you do and know what your values are at so i, I like to call it control passion right yeah. it's that not necessarily get angry but maybe it's maybe because of my training at ECFs, you just kind of have to always you know kind of be you can't be startled to make mm-hmm. to, so that you could ha- have good judgment you yeah. know for the decision you make so the more you can control your passion and not forget where you're coming from, don't forget your training, then you can be more effective, for example, like on lobby days and other activities yeah. like that.
0: Obviously, to make some impactful change, I mean, you need to get involved in the the, the, the legislative body and yeah. pass laws. Um, so kind of getting back to immigration policy, the current state of immigration policy, what effect mm-hmm. is that having on immigrants and their families? Can mm-hmm. you, the current policy is in, in place now, can you talk a little bit about the effect that that's having on, on immigrants
3: today and their families? Well, I mean, I think, you know, the uh, I mentioned this uh, feeling in, in, in like, like living in fear, mm-hmm. you know? I know that now they, they don't like to go out as much, you know? So right. it's having a significant impact, you know? And um, I think that uh, it, it's just making it worse. I mean, even going, to, I think they are worried about ICE rates, mm-hmm. you know, they're worried about even going to work you know, um, and it also kind of makes it more more challenging even for uh, like the public in general, you know, looking down at, you know, people that are here documented. So it's not a good, it's not a good set of affairs for sure. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So I think um, this is where I, I come, I, I love the clinical aspect of social work. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social okay. worker. So when it comes to the clinical aspect of it, I feel that the image, the current policy that it's in, you're right, it is impacting a lot of our families. So, what is that? So, what, how does that um, impact us as social workers? So, when we're out in the field providing services, that's when you're seeing a lot of mental health issues that are happening within the immigrant communities. You know, um, because I, I work with a lot of school social workers, we're seeing that the, a lot of some of these kids are placed in these um, English second language classes. Where um, they're 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 in these classes and they're afraid, you know, that they're going to be deported back. They don't know how long they're going to stay here, or their mom is going to be deported back. I remember working specifically with a child who was severely traumatized because um, she um, was talking about how ICE came into her home and raided her home and deported both her parents. So think about the implications that it places on this child's mental health well-being. Like how can she function in school knowing that both her parents are gone and now she has a theme for herself with her aunt. So talk about the disruption with attachment. You know, talk about their whole mental state is disrupted. And so as a social workers, this is where it's so important for us to get trained on how do you work with the immigrant population? Um, And immigrants is not just Mexico, Central America, it's Latin America, it's 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 Asians, it's Europeans. Europeans. So it's like, how do you work with all these different populations and how do you become, because there's different types of, of cultural pillars, like culture sensitivity, culture responsive, cultural competence, like how do you become culturally sensitive and responsive to someone who comes from a background where a situation where her family, you know, gets taken away and she has to feed herself. So I think for us as social workers, we just have to be more trained in terms of how we can provide the best services as possible um, for our immigrants.
3: Yeah, and I think they're also just going to prevent some from, like, accessing resources, you know, and they could potentially... uh, not only be uh, impactful, like on the taxpayer, when somebody you know that could be maybe they're injured about something and they don't seek you know uh, medical care until it's like ultimately necessary, you know, and it could have been prevented, you know, much earlier, you know, uh, and just access to services in yeah. general.
2: And so, you know, um, if if you look at there's some of the research, it says that a lot of the immigrants um, don't access services because of stigma. Mm-hmm. But because of of the lack of... Like, they don't know how to access services. um, They don't know where to seek the services. So that's why it's so important that us as social workers to find ways to educate our community in terms of how they can access services, regardless of their immigration status, you know, in terms of, like, what's in our community. And I think that Social Work 101, right, is to become familiar with the resources that are in the community so we can really... Um, bridge that gap for
0: our immigrants now with a lot of misinformation you know this this sort of hatred if you will towards the immigrant community uh, I mean you hear so many untruths right they're, they're they're taking our jobs they don't contribute to the economy they sort of take you know they use the benefits so all these 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 um, untruths so how do we get people to understand that immigrants aren't enemies they're not the enemy And it seems like that's the way it is today it's like you know if you're if you're an immigrant you're the enemy of this country you know because of all of these these fallacies here all these 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 thoughts that people have towards immigrants so how do we how do we change that
3: you know that's a tough question because you know i know that um uh, and i think unfortunately human nature kind of it we're kind of designed that way we're afraid of the unknown right um and um, for example, some, a big lesson you know from our immersion program was that at least for those of, of have uh, Mexican heritage that would participate in our uh, program, they would kind of be you know very critical. They would be very critical about like the immigration system in the United States. But then when we went to Mexico, essentially, and and they found that what Mexicans do to Central Americans, I mean, it was just very tough, right? So. I say, I share that because I think that um, societies in general kind of mm-hmm. tend to be afraid of the unknown. So um, in order to mitigate some of those impacts, I think as social workers, we need to figure out how to provide platforms for uh, folks who might not be exposed to interacting with immigrants, mm-hmm. somehow, you know, interact with them, right? Or we build trust with them. So we could provide psychoeducation mm-hmm. with statistics, in fact, that are accurate, and not just based on fear. Right. So. That's
2: a great answer. Love well, yeah. it. <laughs> Anything, else So I, I, just think for me, you know, um, the, I think the reason why some some can look at us as enemies because they have these misconceptions of immigrants. You know, um, they don't really know like the facts. And I love this this whole idea of creating platforms. Because um, remember, you know, when, when we are working with, with any population who's resistant, and so it's, it's a, lot of, um, a lot of psychoeducation. It's a lot of that. It's like, how do you break down that resistant wall? A lot of psychoeducation, a lot of validating, a lot of normalizing. Um, I always go back to my clinical skills. It's like, how do you break down that resistance? And like I said, it's like a lot of normalizing, validating, But a lot lot of it is giving that factual information that we're not the enemy, we're here together. And if you look at the census, I know that they're doing the new census for 2020, but um, I was looking at it before and the majority of population are immigrants here in our nation, you know? And so you're always gonna come across an
1: immigrant, always.
0: Thank you. Professor Lopez, you just mentioned something about Central America. What's going on in, with the governments in Central America that's sort of, um, that's making migration and ultimately immigration um,
3: such a critical issue today? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, um, a, a little bit. For example, right now, and there's also another project that uh, <coughs> uh, Professor Hayden and I were working on. Is it, <coughs> you're Hayden now, right? Yeah. Yeah. She, she yeah. recently got married since yeah. your name, so <laughs> you. Okay.
1: We, can, we can keep this. <laughs> there
3: yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's another project that we're, we're doing in Salvador. Um, And it's basically uh, Whole Child International, is this nonprofit organization, um, uh, contacted USC because they're looking at supporting efforts in El Salvador to revamp the child protection system, right? But through that work, you know, also in working actually with the president's office, you know, finding out that, you know, (laughs) they're trying to do the right thing, you know, but they don't have the resources. And also you have to think about global impacts and the U.S. influence throughout the world, right? I mean, some of the problems that we see in Central America to some extent were kind of, uh, you know, caused by the United States influence in those countries, right, by a number of things. Um, so, but given all that, I mean, people have to, they're looking for better opportunities, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's just a condition of uh, human beings, you know, I mean, um, Personally speaking, my family, like I was sharing earlier, you know, they we ended up migrating from the interior of Mexico to Mexico City, and then eventually here in the United States because we were looking for better, better opportunities, you know? Um, and so I think economically, Central American countries uh, are just struggling, right? I think they have good faith efforts trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I think capital- capitalism doesn't allow for everybody to have the same opportunities, you know, so I think you're always gonna have the fraction of the population that is gonna look for better opportunities, you know, so although I think, in, at least in the Salvador, they have good intentions, I don't think they're gonna catch everybody, which is gonna lead to immigration. Um, so
0: let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned earlier the, the, the pathways, the, um, your, your course, uh, immigration immersion course, I know that you, um, you had presented that, I believe, at a conference in Greece not
3: too long ago, maybe last year, sometime, mm-hmm, right? Last year. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your takeaways from that? Actually, you know, um, very similar to what I've been sharing, you know, that um, I think that, you know, this fear of the unknown, yeah. you know, of the people that we don't know. Like, we, I saw some of the same top team come up with presenters from New Zealand, from Australia, you know, from the, the, the Syrian refugee uh, you know, crisis, essentially. Um, and I think just immigrants, generally speaking, are treated badly throughout the world. Yeah. You know? So um, I think that's what I mentioned earlier about you know, us having to try to understand the other side because across the board, those uh, advocates, you know, some were social workers, some were other disciplines, essentially. Mm-hmm um that's one of the big takeaways it's like they were trying to figure out how do we talk to government how do we talk to in some cases the military how do we talk to folks who have different set of values how do we find the common ground to help vulnerable populations you know so for sure that was one of uh, i guess enough an affirmation of some of the perspectives that i was uh, that i had in building the course that i was seeing it play, being in played out you know in different tra- in different places throughout the world Perfect. And on that, can you talk a bit more, both of you,
0: about social workers and the different areas that they could end up, you know, and and our interns, um, what our interns might, you know, because maybe someone might be interested in immigration. They don't necessarily want to wait until they're a social worker down the road. But if they're in our program, what opportunities are there for interns to participate in immigration? Wow, that that,
2: that I think it's, um, as I mentioned earlier, I think um, schools is, is always the best place too. One of the one of the I think for me it's unbiased because I've been at schools for so long. Um, schools, I'm law firms, I'm law enforcement. Um, it could be in higher education, it could be in hospitals. Um, I mean and so you'll see that with a social work degree you can go into so many different directions. Nonprofit organizations, um I I, I mean, there's so many to choose from.
3: Yeah, and I think because we're in California, I mean, the uh, immigration phenomenon, you're going to hit that anywhere you're at, you know? So I think it's going to be a matter of, like, how much work you want to kind of focus on, right? So I think it depends on... Uh, someone like Chirla, I don't know that yeah. we have. Uh, do we have? We don't have field placements no. with them, right? Um, we should, but we should, right? Yeah, so now a good okay, idea. let's write it down. Let's <laughs> develop that field placement. Uh. Uh, but are, you know, so it depends, I guess, to the, the, to the degree yeah. of how they gonna they could be exposed to working with uh, um, you know with their, with the, with the, with the, uh, folks that have an immigrant background. Now, is it
0: important that they work? I mean, are, it's, uh, to me, it makes sense that they can support either families, like you had mentioned, or or working with the immigrant population themselves. So does that opportunity exist in either of our departments or even in social change and innovation? For those of you that don't know, we offer three departments uh, here at Social Work, uh, children, youth and families, adult mental health and wellness and social change and innovation. So this is three different um, uh, areas of focus for you to sort of tailor that MSW program. So would opportunities exist in each of those departments? should somebody want to
3: get involved? I think so. and I could think of it out because um, uh, I'm not doing more my, much more field placement development, but now when I was in, when I started with USC, I was in San Diego. We had a San Diego Academic Center down there. and um, and to your to your point, we actually had students work in uh, you know like adult, where it used to be um, well at MHW essentially CYF, and also Copa which is the this, sky. This uh, department now and uh, i remember play developing a field placement for a student basically working with attorneys mm-hmm. that were advocating and so that was a, a sky placement essentially mm-hmm. then you know we have also had another student placed at the international uh wow. office at the county of san diego working uh direct practice basically working with a lot of uh, folks basically that had become involved with the child protection system uh but had an immigrant background you know in san diego being so close to the border mm-hmm. we had a lot of that as well you know yeah. so um um I think yeah, there's, there's, there's opportunities like that. Very good. Ron, I have a question. Please. I'm
2: just really curious to know who's in the audience. Yes. I know you gave us an overview, but can we yeah, share who's in the audience? Let's,
3: let's
0: go around over here yeah. and, and, and let's introduce I hear ourselves. From all of you. Yeah, let's introduce ourselves. I'm yeah. this way over here. Hi. Hi. My name
1: is Andre ah, Richards. You're applying Yay. for That's this great. year? For
0: all, fall 2020. Cool. Fantastic. Can continue that dialogue yeah. and connect you to it some folks be, who can answer. You it. might do MSW. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah.
2: might, you might if you around. You might change your mind. You. <laughs> right, guys. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> very
2: nice. Super cool.
3: Sociology and yeah. is go very well together Oh yeah, that was do one, that was one of major, so, yeah. so they yeah. go very well
1: together. And so. MFT too. <laughs> 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 Sir Thank, thank you for coming. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hello, everyone. Um, my training is made the Actually, currently, I'm the of the class, and uh, I'm still a student of Film Academy as well. So, yeah, I arrived in LA about two months. Nice. So, Welcome. So, I, I to my, my business, so, Oh, very good.
3: slow you, down because yeah. I tend to speak fast <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to industry better. <laughs> yeah.
2: So you've been here for two months? From where, you said?
1: Uh, I'm here, I'm in the
2: States. Oh, from what country?
1: China.
2: China. China.
1: Okay. you Thank
2: you for being here. My name is
1: Matthew. I'm a fellow I'm looking at a freelance medical intelligence for Chinese patients. I'm just curious
2: you know, I only know she, she.
1: that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> Hao. That's it.
2: Unfortunately, my father now my father can have a full blown conversation with you, but um, no, unfortunately. But I love Chinese food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: Great. Are you are you a second year student or first
2: year? First year, Where okay. you placed, Where scared. you placed at? Um, I not
1: yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, you are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, good. Thank you.
2: Thank welcome. you for being here.
1: Thank you. You're yeah. welcome. Hi. Thank okay. you. Hi, my name is Chandal. Um, I'm a first year student and a student master. My placement is, uh, well, I have worked in the intelligence, but I'm based in the Southampton County Family Resource Center. Uh-huh. So uh, the majority of my clients are MLA. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Thank, Thank you. Me.
2: You're graduating in May. All right, (laughs) congratulations. (laughs) Light at the end of the tunnel. There's light.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, Yeah. yeah, um, I'm excited to. Yeah. With Raha Rafael? Rafael. <laughs> for coming. My name
2: is i part of I remember you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes,
1: mm-hmm. you Okay, thank, thank you. welcome. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike Foster, and I'm an alum of the program many years ago, and I'm a retired social worker now. He's an awesome social worker by the way.
3: He is the guy who mm-hmm. to to yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I'll add to Mike, uh, what Mike share because also like, you mentioned the Latinx Caucus here at the school, they're putting together uh, the No Mask Immigration Clinic that is uh, coming up, I don't have the date, March 28th, I believe. Yes. It's a Saturday. It's on
1: that little cart. I don't know what's
3: in there. Yeah, I don't know what's in there. But it's essentially something that uh, the No Mask event is something that the caucus has been in place for like 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. A long time. Yeah. And then for the last five years, you know, the caucus, along with other faculty, we we have helped in in, in that capacity in helping this year as well, is that they put an event together for the community, you know, where they bring representation for the counselors, community resources, uh, and they provide workshops, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's something else, especially for those of you that are prospective students, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something that you could take advantage of the student life, you know, here at USC. The caucus is a
2: great way to get involved. We have tons of caucuses. So it's like, yep. I think they even have one, Men in Social Work, right? So Caucus. Yeah. They have, um, what, what other ones? Are they? I mean, they have so many. So oh, for those of you that are thinking of applying, that's yeah. a great way to get involved, um, to really network, um, get to know other students, you know, um, resources and all that.
0: There are around 21, I think, 21, 21. caucuses 21. that we have, um, and so ranging from, from different walks of life and advocating for different groups, and, you know, and, and they're really making an impact in their community now, and they're not waiting yeah. until they graduate and earn that MSW. I mean, they're really doing it now. Like many of you, all of you who have this passion for immigration, uh, or whatever that passion is, there's somewhere on the student, uh, student uh, org that has something yeah. for you. So uh, let me go back to our guest over here.
3: Hello. my
1: name is Omar Garcia. Um, Tocayo. Hi. I'm going to myself, too, but uh, around the same time. uh, am here. I'm 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 Nice. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Right? right. What branch of service? Army. Army, thank you for your service.
0: Appreciate that. Thanks. My name is Ron Rubacaba. I'm the assistant director of admissions. Um, do I, I don't, Not much about me. I get to put on wonderful events like this and invite all of you folks to come in and learn from our wonderful faculty. And so since we have this nice, diverse group in the audience here, I'm going to turn it over to you and allow you to ask questions of our professors here. So this is your opportunity to ask questions. So, so I'll walk around with the mic. Um,
1: let me hand it on to you. Yeah,
3: no, I mean, uh, big question, you know, and I, I guess, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind is somehow, you know, like big revolution, <laughs> right? To change the order of things, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of joking, but not joking. Uh, but but it's because, um, in, you know, and I don't want to sound critical, uh, too critical of the United States, you know, but we're a big influence throughout, the, not only in Central America, but throughout the world, right? And big things need to happen for us to... Um, have more equal distribution of resources you know because like i mentioned um i, I also worked with mexican with mexico in the past in fact one of my jobs before i came into academia <laughs> i was international liaison at the county of san diego basically and child services right um, so i got exposed to work with different countries primarily central america because that's who folks we had more contact with in addition to mexico and i found that you know there's people that have good intentions you know but you just don't have systems that allow good intentions to come to fruition right And sometimes because you have external forces like the influence of the United States essentially in terms of you know uh, the politics behind it in terms of uh, capitalism, you know larger corporations benefiting uh, at the end of, at the end of the day. Um, so for uh, countries like in Latin America you know to change their current status, I think you would need to have significant changes on how we vote, who we put in office, what we do with the loss, you know, and that more co- we're more conscientious about global impact, you know. So a lot of big things need to happen, right? And not to say not to discourage folks, but I think as social workers we need to like understand that and then give or a grain of salt, right, I don't know if that's, uh, or granito de arena, translated into Spanish, <laughs> in English, maybe that's not, that's enumerism, right, it makes sense in Spanish, I'm not sure if it actually makes sense in English, but yeah, put in our two cents, give in our two cents, that's what I'm trying to get across. So you
1: about,
3: about, a, a combination of those, you know, because, and I think that's why I love being a social worker, because the social workers, you know, we need to be able to operate at all three levels, at the micro, at the meso, at the macro level, right? So, um, and, and those two go hand-on-hand, hand-on-hand. Hand. So I think it has to be at the political end, right? But in order for you to be a good advocate, I highly recommend you need to have frontline experience you know, so you could then be effective, you know, the way you go talk with legislators, you know? So so yeah, definitely I think it needs to be at the global, uh, the macro end essentially. But I think you need to be informed as well by being in the light. are people not the these
1: are people
0: Yeah,
3: that's, that's a, oh, question, you know that America is a single
1: Christian nation based on culture and values. And so what
3: any people is non-cultrician, non-part culture, who come from, that is the value So how do you actually present people to accept these things to do not? Because these two similar are co-members of the government. So how do you make that Yeah, that's another million dollar question, you know? Yeah. But I agree with you. And that's, I think, kind of like what has led, I think to some extent, you know, how our current political system works, right? It's very unfortunate that we're very solid and divisive, right, and how do we convince the other side? Um, I don't have an answer for it, and I think we're, uh, there's a lot of other people as smart well as me that try to figure it out, but the first thing that comes to mind is that we need to figure out how to reach to the other side. I know that uh, sometimes, you know, I think if we do what they do to us, for lack of a better word, without necessarily taking sides, is that we're doing the same thing that they're doing to us, you know? But I think sometimes people in the progressive movement, sometimes they loathe, and they, they, they 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 don't reach out essentially to how to like try to convince the others, right? So somehow we need to find the common ground. I don't know how to do that, but I think we as progressives, I'm just assuming that, you know that most people that are in social work have a progressive values, have to figure out how to reach to the other side, like right? the conservative party. Don't have a solution, but I think we just need to figure out a way how to find the common ground. Yeah. And so
1: you
3: yeah so i can say that based on that that example is that at least um please jump in on every
1: you're doing great
3: (laughs) (laughs) no help me no i'm just kidding (laughs) Uh, no so for example like you know that example we had the conversation you know with uh this past march oh um, a year ago when we last had the uh the immersion program and that was still occurring and i think they did acknowledge that it was more, it was harder to actually find the common ground, and this came from both sides, the advocates and also um, uh, CBP. You know, because just the uh, the current rhetoric, it was just making it harder to find those common grounds. But uh, because they had some institutional agreements in terms of collab of collaboration, then that was still occurring. You know, for example, they were still coming together, and then if one of the ad- the persons that was an advocate in the community even said, you know we have this schizophrenic relationship with uh, CBP. You know, one day they were saving lives out in the desert and another one I'm picketing in front of their office, you know, to say how bad of a job they're doing, you know. So um, I think that is uh, probably happening more frequently because of kind of what you describe and how divisive our um, perspective on immigration is nowadays.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Yes, and I want to have a comment on that because, you know, I, 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 I agree with you, you know, and I think as immigrants we have uh, an, uh, I don't want to call it a chip on our shoulders, you know, but we kind of um, know, and we don't take this for granted, and I'm stereotyping, honestly, and generalizing, I should say, um, you know, and we kind of have to work harder, right, to kind of earn our place, right, in, in society, right, because we deal with stigma, we deal with the fact that we feel that we have to, uh, we can speak our minds, and then we have to work twice as harder. But on the flip side, you know, if we encourage that as social workers, you know, we're, key, we're pressing our people, you know? So I, although I agree with you from a personal standpoint, you know, because I've experienced that and I think I felt that I had to do that. I think as social workers, we have the responsibility not to have that expectation on, on, on this population. You know, we need to figure out ways uh, to make uh, equal opportunities available. You know, they don't necessarily have to work twice as hard, right, uh, to still access college, to still access getting a job, essentially right? Um, so it's just, uh, you know, having to change that cognitions, mm-hmm. right? Um, although I think you could be a good advocate because from experience, the next level would be, okay, how do I do that and change the perspective of others, you know, in society? So just wanted to share that. Um, this is going to question from Maria, but either of you, a great answer. Um,
1: I work a lot with kids in my community, mm-hmm. and I've had conversations with children, too, Live in fear of their parents being important. Mm-hmm. Um, And it was just kind of surfaced as we were doing homework together, and they'll say, Why would they want to take away my mom? Mm-hmm. Um, and they got it, it hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious if you have any um, advice or input about how, as concerned community members and neighbors who love these kids and families, what can we do. Like, I'm not a trained social worker,
2: but what are some ways that I can be engaging with these children um, and showing them love and support yeah. if I don't have a trained set of skills? Yeah, that is um, a great question. Um, and so, unfortunately, these innocent children tend to experience. Um, those types of fears where they feel like their mom's going to get taken away. Um, so some of the things that we tend to do when we're training our social workers. Not that you're going to be doing out there doing therapy, but I think a lot of it, it is some of these kids, they feel sort of dismissed. They feel like they're not being validated. They feel like their concerns are not, you know, um, they just think that oh, they're just making things up, or right? they So one thing is that we're always encouraging social workers that when those fears do come up, it's so important to really validate that and say, you know what, it's, yeah, it makes it makes so much sense that you feel that way, you know? Um, and it can be really scary. Um, and so I think giving them that space is, can be very healing, um, versus being, oh, you'll be fine, your mom's going to be okay, you know. You don't know that. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's, it's just normalizing for them that it's okay what they're feeling, like they're entitled to feel that. But then also what we do is um, when that happens, we tend to also, as social workers, we tend to also talk to the parents and say, you know, I know that this is a recurrent theme in your family and we talk about their rights. Like, you know, um, I know that now that there's, even there's like little note cards and there's like little things in terms of if ICE comes to your door, creating safety plans, you know, how can we protect yourself? What will be a plan if some, if, if that were to happen, like what would be the plan for your child? Who can take care of your child? So I think preparing them, giving them the tools and, show, and yeah, talking about the reality, I right? we've had situations where um, you know the mom was undocumented and she knew that they were looking for her, you know, and so this kid knew that he was terrified going to school every day, and the social worker um, came across him because the teacher was saying that he was having a lot of anxiety in the classroom, and he wrote an essay about that, and so. Um, so we had to really work with the parent to create a safety plan for her and for her child. Um, and of course, the child had to receive some ongoing counseling services. Um, but I think a lot of some of the damage that happened there was that the mom didn't want to talk about it with her son. So this kid had all this stuff bottled up and it created a lot of resentment and anger. And frustration with this child that he started soiling his clothes, you know. So it starts manifesting that way. So, one thing is, it can be very traumatizing for kids. So, one thing is validating, normalizing but yeah, it's normal, it makes sense that you feel that way. And so, and, and I think also just really creating some kind of a safety plan. So,
3: yeah. And I would add, you know, that's, that's what we tell our students is that, you know, kind of, if you don't have the training, it's also kind of have to be self-aware of mm-hmm. your limitations, right? And then um, you know, essentially, refer out, you know, when necessary, you know. But I think uh, sometimes it doesn't have to be full of therapy, but yeah. it's some clinical skills, you know, that you could do to say the right thing, you know, to kind of yeah. minimize and mitigate mm-hmm. some some of the trauma that they're experiencing. Yeah. Uh, so I work at a high school in East LA, and I work with a lot of undocumented
1: students. Um, Career career. So, they come to me to talk about college and career. So, how do you like coach and counseling and person on what career opportunities are available to them? Different Um I like get that question that comes up a lot for students like, Well, I get this degree, what can I do with it? Especially if there's not like, on career pathway. Yeah. yeah.
3: Claudia, you might if I put you in the spot? <laughs> okay. You wanna share a little? I don't know if you could take a stab at that, you know. I mean, depending on how much you want to disclose, but I I think you're you're in a good position to answer some maybe that question. I'm ready for
1: this, but... <laughs> I know uh, sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so I came here when I was ten. Um, my mom sent me here so she my family stayed at There's a lot of money out there for
3: And that's kind of what I wanted to kind of like do, do yeah. that specifically, you know, and ask her because Thank that's, in the way, where the, the where my answer kind of what she picked up picked up as well is that, you know, um, it's it, it, looking for other people that have gone to that to that path essentially, right? Uh, but it's also like for example, I can't speak directly to it because my circumstances were different back in the nineteen nineties, yeah. you know. So more recently, like herself, you know, uh, things have changed. You know, they keep and they're going to continue to change, right? Um, so I think very, for, for sure, the one thing that I would um, uh, recommend not to do is because a lot, of, and I experienced it myself, you know, people are like, whenever there's like circumstances like Claudia has, or maybe mine, you get counselors, to discourage you, you know. And in fact, um, I remember, you know, if, um, when I was in my undergrad uh, work at UCSD, um, I got, a, work, I got a, well, work, a financial aid package that included work study. And a Chicano sociology professor, you know, kind of took interest in me and kind of asked me, kind of, what are you doing type of thing, you know, for, like, professional experience and so on. And I'm like, well, I have a a work-study job, and I was a janitor, right, at the school. And he said, why are you a janitor? You know, well, it's just because that's, Honest, on, honest work from my perspective, you know, I grew up you know, being a baker, waking up in the morning, being full of flowers, so I, I didn't see how far I would You were a baker,
1: really? Uh, well, yeah, I don't oh. know, more stories oh. to share with I you. I was so fond of
3: My dad's a baker, so he would take me oh. to the bakery, you know, mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, go from there. But my point being is that, um, I don't all to explained to him that when I went to the work study job thing, that's what they put me to do. He's all, you know, so, so go back there tomorrow, tell them that I sent you, um, and tell them to kind of give you a job that fits your skills, you know. And then he auditioned he said, you know, don't let, you know, societal stereotypes impact you and drive what you're going to do in your life, you know. So that was a big lesson for me because then I went the following day. I, I used some of the same language. I didn't understand it back then fully, frankly, uh, but it, it worked and I got a case management position in the Chicago which is a nonprofit organization that has a lot of influence and I, that's how I became a social worker eventually, but it was that intervention that made a difference, you know. So I think as a counselor, you always kind of have to um, not give up, you know, get, you, you have to put a little, a little more effort, you know, uh, but they have to keep looking around. Right? There's more opportunities, I guess, but we just can't get to them if people that are in, this, in, in, in positions of influence, like counselors, you know, shut those opportunities down.
2: So, if I may add, um, I I went to a community college myself, and I some of my friends were undocumented, and I do know that um, they were able to get some type of support, you know. And so, the community colleges are great, and so they are the best places in terms of they're loaded with tons of resources um, for students. So, if you are working with um, with youth that want to go to college, I think that would be the first step to really explore the community colleges and see what type of resources they would offer um, the un, you know, to the undocumented. But it can be very scary for them too, because they're like, hey, I don't want to expose myself, you know. So I think it's a lot of it would be us advocating for them and doing some of their research for them and say, Hey, this is where you can go, this is where you would be safe. And um, I would start there, you know, um, yeah. And this
3: might be biased, and let me uh, add a little more to it, but I I, I get a say, or so at least that's my perception, you know, that when you're advising or uh, counseling students to go to high for higher education, private schools seem to have more opportunities for, you know, people, for scholarship. example, and scholarships and then and for financial aid, you know, so. Um, that's something also to explore, you know, and even if you're actually documented. Sometimes, you know, yeah. what we find out is sometimes, you know, it's cheaper to, to go to a private university because of kind of like the financial aid, especially mm-hmm. colleges that are available to students, you know, so just to keep that in mind as well.
2: And you and the community college too, um, you know, they, and, and I know too that they can do, who went to community college? Oh, yeah. right not they be great? Yeah. Yeah. So in the community college, they can do, Sometimes when when I'm working with high school students and they're starting to graduate, they don't know what path to get on to, So I know that the community colleges can really find ways in terms of deciding right what major to focus on, what cl- what courses, you know. California Dream mm-hmm. Program. Yeah, where well, they uh um, huh. school. Isn't that amazing? That's awesome. That's awesome. The police that's the UC system. Uh-huh. Professor professor's mentioned that a lens, students
1: will think, I don't want to go to USC. It's an expensive school, right? And I understand that. It's not that expensive. is. <laughs> 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 Let's own it. <laughs> <That> is. <what>. <laughs> 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 I'm in denial. <laughs> For a graduate student
0: can involve the $20,000 per year from the financial aid, of course, an undocumented student can't. But we have a scholarship in place that will that, that. that the moment it begins. And it's not a moment that begins from the government, there's a scholarship student be like this. And so those opportunities are. I want to hear a remark. The original scholarship was it matched? Was it only the against be... No, no. There's a, we have a ton of scholarships. We have different scholarships. No, this a big, big one. Is, is, is for. There are a number of different scholarships to make it work, and so I, the reason why I say this is I just don't want students to assume I have to go to a state I have to go to a UC community college. That is a great pathway, but there are other opportunities as Professor has mentioned, oftentimes
1: with private schools and funds, and so they don't <coughs> discount. Them.
3: Actually, a shameless plug for what I do, essentially, is that as uh, director of the stipend programs, you know, something that we've been pretty successful in securing federal funding that provides additional money to students, you know, so for example, um, you know, I'm a, a principal investigator on a couple grants, and then we're the only ones in Southern California that have, for example, that stipend program, you know, uh, that is basically provides an incentive for you to get additional training, uh, $10,000 essentially, and it does have no employment <clears> payback. <throat> we hope that you work with a particular population, but it's basically functions like a scholarship is for you. Did you guys
2: hear that? Did you hear that? That you're not
3: required, right? Yeah, not required. I mean, there's other yeah. programs, like her program, uh-huh. that's required that she work for DCFS after, in fact, that was a title for have yeah. 7 receiving myself. But there's other stipends that we have at the mm-hmm. school, essentially, also because I think we're private, we've been able to uh, go after those funders. Yeah. yeah. Any other questions? Also, by the way, they, um, there's a
1: The
2: yeah. And that one was that it's, an uh, it's a of where you find all What is the app again?
1: Dreamers uh,
2: Roadmap. Dreamers Roadmap.
1: Oh, that's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so I have a question about I, I know you talked a little bit about mental health important uh-huh. uh, support undocumented I wanted to hear more about like what are um, specific best practices in that kind of setting, and also how as a as a clinician, mm-hmm. how do you support? I mean, how do you um, protect those like um, notes that I have to take, like when you're doing counseling sessions, um, especially when like that person might be um, in the process of getting you know visa or a of mm-hmm. Just because I just read. A couple of days ago, that um, apparently the notes that are being, are being taken from um, those sessions are affecting children that are indocumented and that they're applying to asylum. Yeah. And so, in the notes, um, we've noticed that if they say anything about them being in a gang, they automatically get denied. And so, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think I can speak to the best practices. It's funny because we just had a, a presentation on that. So um, we are learning that when mental health professionals are working with the immigrant population, it's so important for them to learn about the acculturation process. Um, And so there is a theorist. um, forget his last name. I forgot. I just said his. um, he created um, the stages of acculturation. That when someone migrates from one country to another. They go through a series of the acculturation, like they go through assimilation, separation, and marginalization. So I think as a social worker, when you're meeting with with clients and you're doing your assessments, you want to start look. You want to really understand the acculturation process. But I think it's so important, and I think this is an area that tends to get missed. Is that if you are going to become a clinician or you are a clinician working in the field. It's so important to really understand um, the state use of migration and what that looks like, and what are the different types of traumas that can impact someone in the various stages of migration. So it's pre-migration, like during, and then post-migration. Um, and I another thing is really learning about cultural bereavement. Um, that is a, that's a notion that's been around since the 90s that somehow hasn't really been around. Hasn't really been that popular, which I thought is pretty pretty astonishing because culture bereavement um, study has, has shown that can be very um, is a notion where um, some clinicians can can confuse it with post traumatic stress disorder symptoms. Um, so it's really understanding that when someone migrates from one country to another, it's very normal for them to grieve over the loss of their culture. That we can't automatically say, okay, they have PTSD because of that. You know, you gotta be very careful in terms of diagnosing someone and really giving it time on that. Um, so I like to, when I'm training clinicians, in terms of when they go into the field, it's really learning the stages of migration, the enculturation process, Um, and also in terms of how trauma really impacts the brain um, and how it really impacts the three regions of the brain um, and how it can manifest um, and what that looks like. Um, So, for example, um, when someone has been through a traumatic event, um, their prefrontal cortex tends to get shut down, um, and their amygdala tends to get fired off all the time, and those are the kids that you see that are very hyper-vigilant, always just ripped up and having a hard time self-regulating. So it's really understanding all those concepts. Um, and, I, and I do think it's so important that us as social workers should really take the time to really understand um, the, four, the four pillars of culture, which is culture sensitivity, culture responsiveness. I mean, I can go on and on. Really understanding that people think, well, I'm just going to become culturally competent. It's like, no, you've got to really understand first what that means, and you've got to know who you are as an individual. And then last thing, I know we're almost time's up, but I think it's important that when we are working with other cultures, that we also take the time to really understand who we are, understand our own values and our own biases, when we're working with. Um, other cultures because we have our own stereotypes and sometimes that creeps out unconsciously and can interfere with the therapeutic relationship with the client. In terms of documentation, I'm not really sure about that. Um, I know that it's when they go through the asylum proceedings, you've got to be very careful um, in terms of the cases that you're dealing with. I always encourage that if you're dealing with a case where they're going through those asylum proceedings that you seek consultation, you have you seek legal counsel before you start rendering services. So you know the types of cases that you can be providing services to.
3: As you were asking that question about documentation, I, I went back to my CPS days, you know, because, um, you know, we were trained basically because of, um, you know, those documents become available, subject to juvenile court, you know, they become available to parents, you know, counsel and so on, you know, that um, whenever we enter notes, you know, into the system, it, it really, we were forced to focus just on why were we investigated and why we were writing stuff down. So, it all everything had to do with child protection, you know, and it's very easy to, like, find out, you know, or, like, uh, list, okay, this person, it wasn't a gang. What well, is it relevant to the child protective issue? you know, and if it's not, then why you why you, why you you would include it, you know, so in terms of a best practice, I would say, you know, just if you're in a therapeutic setting, basically your case notes have to be relevant to the presenting problem, right, um, and it might be, might, you might think that it's uh, necessary to give the context, but um, I don't know, I think DMH also kind of tells you not to do that, essentially, just to basically get the specific information related to the diagnosis, you know, so um, I, I don't have a best practice, but I would say just a tip, case management and documentation for the points that you bring bringing up. You know, those things could become accessible to other parties. It might be used for different purposes.
2: Okay, we'll make this the last question. We're going I In regards to trauma?
1: Uh-huh. She's the queen of that, so <laughs>
2: And they have their own traumas. So my question is, can their trauma, since you mentioned you go through a stage can their trauma also impact their kids? Um, yeah, yeah. That's so. That's called intergenerational trauma, and so um, that can totally be um, transpired from from one generation to another generation, um, depending on what the families have gone through. You know. You know, we've had um, family members that have been through the war in El Salvador, and uh, and um, we've seen it where a, a mo- you know a mother had been um, sexually assaulted and just went through so much during that period, and she suffered um, depression and anxiety, and it became very infectious within the, the family dynamic, where. Um, you know, the child started to become very anxious um, and that's how she learned to self-regulate, is the way that her mom would self-regulate. And so um, and so the things that the mother feared, she tended to also fear too. So it can be very infectious. Um, so that's where we tend to provide services to um, the client and then to also the family so they can get access to services. So. Trauma, unfortunately, is something that is pretty unfortunate, Um, but we are seeing that despite the amount of trauma that's impacting our families, our immigrants are super resilient. They have this strong bond and network with families, um, spiritual too, Um, but yes, but the answer to your question, it is, that's called intergenerational trauma, yeah, it's pretty fascinating.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just conclude. And I want to first of all, I want to thank you all for spending thank your you evening here with us. Down. Thank you very much for attending. And most importantly, I want to thank our fantastic professor Heidi Lopez for spending their time and sharing with us.